Hey, what is up? This is James of Humans of Magic. You are listening to my interview with Kyle and Taryn Huck. The Huck brothers created Apex Gaming, and this is, in my opinion, the next big thing in Magic regional coverage in the United States. In fact, I felt so strongly about this that after interviewing the Huck brothers, I went ahead and created a 30-minute documentary on my YouTube channel about Apex Gaming. This interview is going to be the unedited version, just straight-up conversation with the Huck Brothers. For the documentary, I went ahead and interviewed people around Apex Gaming, players, creators who have been to their events, just to get a more 360-degree kind of view. So definitely check that out if you have the chance. They're kind of two pieces of things that stand alone. One is this uncut interview. The other one is a more curated version of the Apex Gaming story. They kind of both tell the story from different angles, so I really appreciate it if you could check both of them out. And this is actually part of what I'm trying to do this year for Humans of Magic is really branch out the audio podcast from the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is going to have its own thing. It's going to have more curated content. It's going to have things that honestly just work better on YouTube. The podcast version is still going to be where you get these long-form interviews. I know a lot of you enjoy it, so that's not going away anytime soon, but I'm just trying to use the different channels for different things. As always, I super appreciate all the support you give in to Humans of Magic, and I wish you all the best, and I hope you enjoyed listening to this. Again, I think Apex Gaming is the next big thing in regional Magic tournament coverage. You can be the judge, time will tell, and I just had a lot of fun doing this interview, so enjoy. All right, we are live. No, actually not really, we're not really live, but we are here today on Humans of Magic with two wonderful Humans of Magic, the representatives of Apex Gaming, Kyle and Taryn Huck. How are you guys doing? Going really good. How are you? Going well. Going well. I mean, we're actually in a somewhat related time zone now because I'm actually in Canada on the West Coast for for these couple days. So uh, it's nice to actually record with people on the same continent, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, here, and here I was thinking you were 12-hour different, so... Gotcha. Uh, no, no, no. Fortunately, I'm over the jet lag of like going halfway around the world. I'll, I, I, yeah, I'm on the I'm on the West Coast today, so I, I'm doing really, really well, and uh, hopefully, uh, you guys are doing well as well. Why don't we kick things off? I want to just have you guys do kind of a brief introduction. Uh, I know that Kyle and Taryn, you play different roles with Apex Apex Gaming, so can you just briefly tell us who you are and maybe the role that you have with the company? Well, Kyle and I are co-owners. We sort of came up with the idea for Apex and started it together. But um, I'm Kyle's more, much more of the financial backing of it, though. I'm more of uh, tagging along that way. But that's okay. <laughs> I, I handle uh, social media and the streaming and things like that, like marketing, like helping out with that. Um, we do have like a manager in store that kind of helps out and does a lot of that stuff. Um, that's mostly what I do specifically at Apex. I kind of handle the business end of everything, um, kind of make the policies and procedures and kind of how we operate, and then obviously go over that with the team and get everybody's input. Um, and then I kind of help, you know, handle personnel and, and all of that kind of stuff. Most of what we do, we just kind of do together and, and set everything up and, um, you know, kind of just roll that boulder up the hill. What's the story of how Apex started? Because I understand the two of you are brothers and you have been coming in from a non-magic space. I guess everyone comes in from a non-magic space, right? We're not, you're not born 
with Magic the Gathering, but I want to tell me the story of how Apex Gaming started. So I've played Magic since around 98, 99, 2000. Um, <clears throat> and then I'm actually 13 years older than Taryn. He's my younger brother. And I went off to college and kind of sold my cards and then got out of college and got back into Magic a little bit and didn't really have anybody to, to play the game with. So put my cards up in the closet and, you know, that was kind of it. Well, then Taryn got into high school and said, hey, Kyle, get your cards out. And... So then I started playing with him, and we've been playing the game ever since, and that's kind of how we got into to Magic. Um, but then Taryn actually is the one that kind of came to me and said, hey, let's let's do a card shop. And it started, I think, Taryn, you went to, like, San Francisco or something? Then you got to the West Coast, and you saw a, um, a internet cafe-type place, right? Yeah. Um, I went out there for, like, a, it was like a... I was in college for computer science and it was like a cybersecurity conference. And I saw some of those like internet cafes and I just knew there was like in our area is a little more rural, but there was still population centers and then still places where people like didn't have internet, like, you know, and like some kind of underprivileged areas, you know, where people might not have nice setups and things like that. So, uh, my, the original idea was sort of like an esports, and esports was kind of like, this is back in like, what 2017 2018 2000. it was a little bit of a newer thing yeah uh, it was still really popular for a while at that point but anyways uh like schools and and places were starting to get into it like a lot of local schools were starting to have esports programs um so originally the original concept for apex had like what like 20 computers in it and like yeah. 10 xboxes and things like that uh and we were a card shop that was the other idea we were also a little bit kind of displeased with the uh quality and the convenience of the local card stores in our area you had to go like 45 minutes to just get to a card store uh and you know none of them were that great in our opinion you know not not to throw shade at them or anything you know i think they were just doing what they could but we wanted to do like a really nice place um which you know we've gotten wp and premium now and uh, we're really proud of our shop so very much um, so What was it like to uh, initially formulate a magic store? Because I, I think I, from talking to Kyle before, like there were some interesting decisions you made along the way before day one of Apex, right? Like, can you talk a bit about like what it's like? I mean, I understand that you also come from a kind of a business background where you also have been running <clears throat> other types of businesses. And what what is it like to like be like on the ground floor of creating a a magic retail store or or a magic thing it's exciting um because you're really kind of creating the book you know you're kind of kind of making it up as you go along and figuring out what works and what works for you and and your methodology um with that though comes a lot of failures and then a lot of successes and you build on the successes and uh, refocus the the failures i do come from a business background i own several other businesses um some restaurant <clears throat> some uh, regular just retail pharmacy, some other things like that. So I I do come from a, a business management and accounting background. And uh, really, like, as far as Apex goes, a few things that, that we did is we sat down and said, what are some key things that we want to do, that we're going to do? And I think one of the number one rules we came up with is we're going to make an offer on every card that comes in. Um, one of my 
pet peeves is going to a store and not being able to sell your cards. Um, it's kind of frustrating. I totally get it. I understand. I'm not, again, like Terrence said, we don't want to throw shade at any other store because they, you know, maybe don't have the financial backing or whatever. And there's obviously very good reasons not to do that. Um, I just think that it, it makes for a better community if stores are able to buy cards. So that was one of our, our major things is to have a buy policy that encompasses a, you know, being able to buy everything that comes in. Um, or at least make a reasonable offer, I should say. The other thing was the, the quality of the shop. We really felt that everything had to be nice. Uh, need to up upscale, you know, where you're going into. Nice floors, nice walls, you know, remodeled space, wood tables, um, you know, nice restaurant style padded chairs. Uh, so just wanted to keep it really nice. And those were kind of our two starting points everyone's gone into the magic store where it's like you you feel a little like embarrassed to be there just because of the you know overall appearance of it and quality of it and like a lot of other retail stores don't really get away with that uh in the same way and so we, we just didn't want it to turn into like just a, a like you know a club or something where just like a few guys hang out like we wanted it to be like really open and clean and welcoming to all <clears> and like you know, children can feel safe there. Parents can feel safe taking their kids there. Um, you know, and everyone can have like a good, you know, fun time in like a, a nice environment. Were there any particular um, models or like templates that you took or inspiration from existing spaces or businesses? Or, or are we just talking about like, let's try to be like a, a Starbucks or let's, let's try to like be an actual legit because uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys have any inspiration from somewhere, or it's just sort of like you have your your baseline standards from the get go about like something to as a as a point of comparison, perhaps. I was gonna say I would say just from because I also help like manage Kyle's restaurants for a little bit. Um, but I would say just from you know having like restaurant experience and like we also looked online and um, you know we obviously we're magic players. We travel around to quite a few magic shops, you know, for, di for different things. So, and we looked online at some WPN premium stores to kind of see what they were doing. And we, you know, got a feel for it. And we were like, yeah, we really like this look of like making everything premium looking and feeling. And that's, that's definitely like the way we want to go with this. If we're going to do it, if we're going to mess with it at all, definitely go on the higher end and invest, you know, I say invest. It's mostly Kyle's money. <laughs> <laughs> Did it feel like a risk though to start a magic-related business? Now, mind you, you mentioned this was 2017-18, uh, so this is go back in time. This is pre-pandemic, right? So, what yeah. did it was it um, was it a slam dunk or was it difficult? Like what I know about you know starting a restaurant, like it's it's just a a grind and it takes a it's very hard to become profitable or become a legit business like how did it feel at the time and you know maybe for the first year or two so I, I can definitely answer this question um it did not feel like a great risk so for, first and foremost i basically am in the real estate business and i own the building that we're in and remodeling a section of our building and making it very very nice um all of that money that i would put into that all the finance that i would put into that i would get back in equity 
So that's um, as as far as a business decision there goes. That remodel didn't didn't bother me at all because I would I would just be able to rent that space to somebody else if if Apex didn't occupy it. Um, as far as the investment into the inventory and the investment into the computers and some of the other things we did, there was a little bit of risk tolerance there. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't a huge huge chunk of money, um, but it, at the same time I knew that you know. For example, the the esports part really didn't work out after COVID. It actually started to take off. We were doing okay with it, um, but after COVID, the esports just gone. It, it just went downhill, never came back. And so we sold, um, you know, all of the computers that we had, all the PlayStations, Xboxes. Um, we re remodeled the store again, and you know, kind of changed everything around, expanded our retail. Um, but you know. That's the risk tolerance, but I knew going in that everything that we were doing, I would be able to sell the cards we were buying for inventory. I would be able to sell the computers, you know, at a, at a loss, but still not a huge risk for what we were putting in. That being said, it's still not nothing, you know. It was just that my my risk tolerance to doing it wasn't, you know, wasn't averse. Another aspect of this question is: was it fairly easy to? attract a player base because obviously you guys are now as i understand it like the second biggest attraction in caldwell ohio so you are not just game store but just like you are like a destination spot now but in the beginning was it <clears throat> difficult to recruit gamers and players to come to the store what kinds of things did you do just give me an idea because i've never been to caldwell i hope i can visit in the future but but i mean just just lay it out for me like how do you do how do you how do you do the sales and marketing and how do you get people into the store you know um well first of all we would love to have you so if you can ever come out let us know we would love to have you um as far as uh, attracting players i i think that that comes from our passion for running competitive tournaments and that's what really brings the players to our area um trying to run really good tournaments with really good payouts and uh, treating the player base as much respect as we can and that makes players come i mean we have players we're kind of in the middle of nowhere and we have play, i mean will hall's been here from the uk i mean young dingo has been out here from california to multiple tournaments you know you're not getting players to come you know not to mention most of our local players drive an hour to two plus and a lot of them come six hours regularly playing our big tournaments so I mean that's but but running really good tournaments in my opinion is what brings them down, you know, to our shop. Yeah, if there's one thing Midwest people are used to, it's driving long distances. <laughs> so uh for True. when we do like a you know monthly or you know every so often the the bigger competitive kind of convention style weekends, like people really like to travel out to those and they'll get hotels and stay. Um but then you know, for our more local player base, there was sort of already, there's kind of a shop that was sort of on its way out that was kind of local. Um, and a lot of those players, you know, kind of came over to us. And we we, there, we had several players that were, you know, just our friends and stuff that we played with um, that sort of helped, you know, be patrons basically when we opened the shop. So, uh, and then we've attracted a lot of, you know, new players or people, there's tons of people that just like, Oh, I play magic. I, you know, I played commander around the kitchen table with my, 
my buddies for years now or whatever and then they see your shop and they stop in and you know there's there's magic everywhere <laughs> yeah so it does seem like having a a very nice space has you've been able to convert kitchen table magic players to actually come by and playing a tournament or just just partake in some ways is that right yeah, I would, I would say that's something that basically every player that walks into our store says is like, wow, this is nice. Like, I didn't know this was down here. It's kind of verbatim what everyone says when they walk in. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think we've sort of made it like, you know, we have command zone passes for when we do our like convention style weekends. And, you know, people can buy into the command zone and they earn tickets and can go get something from the prize wall. So it really... I, you know, I think we've made a fun, for, on the more casual side of things, you know, it's a fun weekend for those more casual players too to participate in and get something out of it. What's it been like to get to WPN status and work with Wizards of the Coast or reps of Wizards? Because this is an area that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough, probably because people don't want to get in trouble. But like, what can you share about uh, what it's been like to work with the Mothership or Wizards? So... Some people may have a different experience. Um, our experience has been absolutely fantastic. Um, have to get a huge shout out to our rep, Nick. He is awesome. Always just available on Messenger. Every time we need something, clarification, anything, we just message him and he's answering, helping. Um, really helped us get WPN Premium. Uh, a lot of good advice. Um, just feedback constantly. Send him pictures, send him a video. He'd give us feedback. We would take care of it. Um, it's a tough process. I mean, it's not easy. You have a lot of things you have to do, and they're going to hold you to a high standard. But the help and support was absolutely there. Absolutely. It was great. Um, and then, luckily, we get to work with Wizards on the um, on the event side, too. We get to work with them there, and they're, they're a great partner. They help, help partner and sponsor our events um, and make, you know, make the Invitational Series possible. What's it been like to build that relationship with Wizards? Is it just the fact that you have such a an attractive kind of flagship store by American standards and that they want to work with you naturally? Is it did you have to have build a relationship over time? Like uh, just just lay it out for me. Like what's it been like you, to to develop it? You have to build the relationship over time and they're interested in what you're doing. Um they see what we're doing and they like what we're doing. They like what some other series are doing. Um, and they really want us to be, you know, bringing competitive magic on the, the basic, the lower level, you know, the, um, the regional level. Yeah. To, to life. And without us, you know, they'd have a hard time with it. So they do want to show us support. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to prove yourself. You have to, to run really good events. Um, I have every event we run, we have 72 hours to submit a full report of every ticket that we sold, every person that, that played in the command zone, every person that played in every side event. Um, you know, and I compile all those numbers and and send them off to the to the team. And, um, and then actually last week we just had a, Taryn and I had a talk with, um, our, our rep on that side and we were talking about our numbers and, and getting season four out here soon and yep. you know continuing that partnership and we get them um, our like social media numbers too for the weekend 
uh, and different posts and things. So they want to see like what the visibility is like. The social media sentiment report that they call it, but they want to see what what the reaction is to our event on social media. You know, mm -hmm. are people talking about it? Do they like it? Did they have a good time? Was there any negative feedback? Yeah. And then I think the other thing that they like is our, our series really incorporates other local game stores. So that's, we have many, uh, I mean, it wouldn't really be right to call them like satellite stores, but they're just, they'll host invitational qualifiers, apex invitational qualifiers. We call them AIQs and they're just like two slot events that earn an invitation to our big last season. It was a $20,000 invitational. Um, so just, I think the fact that we incorporate and we work together with many other local game stores. Uh, I think that makes it kind of more attractive for them to work with us. Cause then they kind of get to work with all of them too. Yep. Do you have any challenges working with wizards? Not really so far. Knock on wood. It's been good. <laughs> Don't want to jinx they're it. Pretty, they're just pretty transparent with what they're looking for and things like that. And it's, it's kind of a two way relationship then. Really? I mean, we just, just email back and forth and every once in a while talk on the phone about things and they just get back to me and that's really about it. You know, we just talk about what, what mostly what I'm talking to them about is what we need to do to get a pro tour invite on our series, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, and, and I, what did they I, say? They, they, they wanted to work with us for a season first. You know, we had to prove ourselves in season three and, and they like what they saw and, and they're going to evaluate it here. We're anxiously awaiting the response as we speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. All right. I'm cheering for you, rooting for you guys. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, that would be, that would be huge for a series, but something we're excited about. But we'll see if it's in the cards or not. It's always so funny because you feel so deserving. You know what I mean? Like you feel like we do a really good job and we're deserving of that and the series is deserving of it. And, and you're just waiting for that, you know, <laughs> Yeah. that you are. I mean, I feel like in the world you just have to, obviously, first of all, I think you do have to believe in yourself more than anybody else. Like you have to be <clears> your <throat> own champion, right? That's just the case for a lot of things in life because you have to be your own, uh, your biggest fan, right? Uh, and in this case, you guys are brothers, so you're fans of each other and you're fans of like, and there's people who are fans of Apex Gaming, which is great. But I think the other thing is just like, I feel like also in general in life, you just have to like get to a spot where they're not able to say no. Like you have to get to a spot where you're just eliminating all the reasons yeah. why they wouldn't give you a Pro Tour slot. It's just, that's just how the world works. And it's just about like proving yourself incrementally step-by-step step with every um, audition that you you get right i i feel that's the case anyway so that's a really good point yeah that's a great way to put it I, I was just gonna say something that uh you know my dad would always say with coaching was just give them no doubt you know my dad liked to yeah. he coached sports for years and years and years but especially if he was t telling us about working with you know another coach or something and we're like oh i'm not getting playing time i'm not getting the you know the touches on the ball i want or something it was just give them no doubt, you know, show them that you, you deserve it. Yeah. Totally. Your dad sounds like a, a wise person who knows what uh, he's doing. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So before we get into the coverage stuff, I do want to ask just one question about the kind of the, uh, what is it like to actually 
this is not really a relationship with wizards, but just like the nature of being a store and selling and carrying magic product, like how what's that experience been like? Like because I feel like there's just a ton of discussions all the time on the internet of people like you know, what is the magic market? Like, what is the secondary market? What is the secret layers, which obviously are not available to the stores? And what is it like to hold sealed product? Like, this is such an open-ended question, but are there just things that you can just randomly think about that you think that might be worth sharing? Like, what is the actual life of a magic retailer like? We might not have enough time for this question. Okay, this is a four-hour <laughs> pod in itself, right? So you have to give me the, the condensed version. <laughs> we may have to come back and do another one. Um, so, it's it, the, the spectrum is so so big here. I mean, you go from players and and fan base, and and we're all super excited. We can't wait to get our hands on the new product. We've been seeing the spoilers, and we're cracking packs. You know, that's that's the high, right? That's the 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 great side of selling magic. And then on on the sealed side, and then. You've got the other sealed side where currently right now what we're facing is everybody's saying is the overprinting, you know, over release of all the products. And so now we're starting to see a lot of product where players aren't quite as excited to open it. My gosh, we just opened the product last month. I, I can't even buy this product. Now I'm upset. You know, the players, I want to open all the products when it comes out. I want to be excited about it. And I don't have the money to do that. I can't open every every set now when it comes out. Um, and so then that's kind of kind of the low side. Um, what I've been kind of trying to trying to get my own mind right on it and and putting my you know my own spin is there there's wizards is still selling the product or they wouldn't be doing it. And what we need to remember is sometimes somebody else is enjoying it. and if somebody else is enjoying it, then that's fine. You don't have to enjoy every product that comes out. Maybe that one's not for you. Skip it. That's okay. I, I think the frustration comes from, especially somebody like me. I'm a. I love to open sealed product. That's always been one of my fun things to do. Um, you know, where I want to open every product that comes out, and that does tie up a lot of you know personal income then to do that. But um, you know, just understanding that it it maybe that set's not for you, or you know, changing how you do it. Um, but, you know, they're printing the sets, and the, the sets are obviously, you know, some are one better than others. You know, Dominary Remastered sat, sat in our back room for a long time, um, which on the retail side, that's what we face is making sure we order appropriately um, for each set. Um, we order less now than we used to. Uh, we used to order quite a bit, and now we just we just can't order as much because it's just not selling. You know, um, when there were four sets a year and one to two auxiliary products, you know, we would sell quite a bit of sealed product. And now with the set releases as often as they are, we're just not selling as much. So I don't know if it's too strong a word, but is it almost a gamble? Like you're basically having to play a lottery of like this new set that comes out. Like how much do I pre-order? <clears throat> how much product do I stock? And is it going to... Over deliver, under deliver on expectations because I can see that if you don't have enough, that's not great. But and also if you have too much, that's also not great. So does it feel like that? Like you're kind of having to consult like the Ouija board for like what is this thing gonna be good or not? And then it almost like having maybe it's from spoilers or like 
intel like you have to understand we have to have a sense for like is this set gonna rock or not and 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 putting the right predictions in you you really only have to answer that question though for sets that are limited print run if they're not limited print run sets you can just totally reorder. True, yeah. so so you can keep your order where you need to be and just put in a reorder you know um, now the question on the reorder is you might not be able to get it as fast as you want but that comes from building a relationship with your wholesaler and being a good customer and you know being on top of their priority list and also putting those those backup orders in um, as soon as spoilers come out or whatever if you have to um we still order a decent amount though so it's just not as much as we used to so like we have a pretty good relationship with our distributors and and are able to kind of fix some of that the limited run products or the some of the you know ancillary products that come out those are the tough ones those are the ones where you say commander masters or whatever how good is it going to be you know am i going to need 60 boxes am i going to need 600 boxes and sometimes you just you just don't know i mean it could be a slam dunk and you know time spiral remastered we sold out of that in the first day you know we got like 60 boxes in i remember and that was gone day one and we never saw another piece of product on it you know i wish i would have had 600 you know we could have sold them all and you just you just don't know you know you really don't know does Wizards do anything to give retailers signals about how they think their internal an analysis tells them how it's going to do? I, I guess maybe that's hard, right? Or that's fraught with challenges in itself, too. I think it's it's fraught with challenges. Everything I've seen in the WPN networks that I'm in is the the risk of leakage, you know, um, is far, you know, more than, than what they would get from letting wholesalers know. Um, you know, because they, they let the wholesaler know, hey, this, these are the, the cards that are coming out in this set. And then the wholesaler, or the not the wholesaler, but the retailers were like, we're not, we're not buying this. That's not going to be good. And then players were like, why aren't you buying this? And we're like, well, it's because it's not going to be good. <laughs> you know, I, I could see that being a, a problem. The old self-fulfilling prophecy, as it were. Yeah. So. What about just in terms of Okay, this is this is me being mostly an outsider. Just the fact that you have a lot of people claiming that uh, there's some some sort of like on the street just consumer fatigue. Just let, let me be specific about this. Like people are saying, I can't afford every set, which is objectively true on many levels. I can't buy all the cards that I want. Um, is there some? Are, are you sense? Are you seeing shifts in consumer behavior like over the past? I don't know six to 12 months, 12 to 24 months in terms of like how people have a relationship with magic. Are you seeing people like just buy less things overall? Are you seeing people um, go after singles more as opposed to sealed or like, are there certain trends that from your vantage point that uh, you're seeing that might be worth calling out? As a store, we have to identify our markets. And so you have your different, your different markets, you know, our, our you've got your, your typical modern grinder that is, picking up singles, playing the same deck for a year or two. You know, they're not buying a ton of cards. And then you have your, you know, I have people that come in and buy product that don't even play. You know, they every time a, a set comes out, um, they'll get six or, you know, 
six or more collector boxes of, of a product and that's just what they you know what they do they don't even play the game um so you, you just have to see what your what your player base is and uh, what your market is and identify you know who's who's going to buy what and then kind of you know know what they know who they are our commander players are a little bit more casual players they like to open sealed a little bit more um you know they 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 enjoy opening the the packs and and getting the one card that can go in their commander deck um so you definitely see that a little bit more but over over the last couple of years though you've definitely seen a downturn though of the grinder you know they never were big pack opening crowd but anymore they don't open a lot of packs at all what about the the kind of the collectors or as i like to call them the whales they're really the lifeblood that keep keeps magic sales afloat like they just love gambling in the form of opening packs like just there's a ton of people like that in china in china i see stores like <laughs> right uh yourself included <laughs> like it, they just love the thrill right it's it's uh yep. uh in china at least where gambling is actually illegal it's kind of like legalized gambling um so have they been spending the same or have they also cut down or is it is it more than you've seen I, for your clientele i should say um, it's been about the same, maybe a little less. The thing is, they just don't do it on every set. So when they see a set they like, they buy their, their product. If they're not interested in a set or they don't like a set, then they don't buy it. Um, but that's just the thing is they have to, even they, I guess they can't buy every set. They have to cut some sets out. You know, they, they just, they just can't buy it every set. Yeah. I feel like a little bit recently with Magic trying to hop on a little, you know, some more like pop culture trends and things like that. There's been a little bit of an influx of you know, kind of whales or whatever consumers just coming in from other markets a little bit like, you know, Lord of the Rings and some of the other like Transformers and the anime crossovers and things like that. So, there's been people that are like, oh, "I don't normally buy Magic products, but you know, this one's Lord of the Rings, so I'm going to spend some money on it. Okay, so the multiple IP thing is working. Like, you're seeing traffic or interest in Magic as a result of these other properties, or fans of these other properties. We, I mean... At least a bit, yeah. Yeah, personally, our shop, we sold sold, uh, collector boxes of Lord of the Rings to people that... Neighboring businesses, so our, our building is... We have other renters... Um, neighboring business owners were buying some collector boxes of of uh, Lord of the Rings because of the you know the One Ring and the Soul Rings yeah. and all all that was going on with that set. So there were there were people that were opening the lottery tickets, at, you know, so to say. Yeah. This is a total aside, but as someone who played the original Middle Earth Middle Earth CCG in the '90s, I feel like this new Lord of the Rings set is just not even Lord of the Rings. It's just um, it's just like a uh, Lord of the Rings skin on magic cards. Um, but anyways, I digress. <laughs> yeah. I'll probably cut that part out. Like it's, it's just like, I, it, it's weird for me because now like magic for me is fundamentally just about the mechanics and the, the, the framework of magic. So it's like, even if you put another, even put Sonic the Hedgehog on a magic card, I would never feel like it's Sonic the Hedgehog, but I understand that others may feel differently. And that might be the first time they, they see Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know why I'm using this example. This just shows how, how, uh, how much I live in the '90s. Like you know, we, you know, I don't know. We're gonna have like, uh, 
anyhow, I digress. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's interesting. I know what you though, mean. But, but that's true. It's true. Like, people are actually coming in because of these other properties and, you know, more power to people and more power to stores. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Doctor Who, too, was one that brought some people in. It was That was another set that did that. That was a really interesting one because I'm not a Doctor Who fan, so um, but I did watch the um, the Command Zone year in review, and they said that Doctor Who kind of flopped. Like they said that it was designed very well as a as decks and cards, but there wasn't that much actual commercial interest. I'm not sure if like they're coming coming at it from their vantage point, or if you guys saw that as well, where it's a very well designed thing, but there weren't that many people that were into it in in total i we didn't order a ton of it because i anticipated that it wouldn't be huge for us um but like i said we did have some people come in that weren't magic players that were like hey doctor who's in a magic box i, I want to buy it and i was like hey, awesome we're here for you <laughs> that's yeah. what we do <laughs> i guess my question is the people that come in because of that property, for example, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. I'm a Doctor Who fan. Do they actually end up playing Magic, or do they just end up just collecting the cards? And it, or like what? I guess it's hard for you to tell because you just sell them the thing. But like, do they ever come back, or is, is it like a one-time thing? They they leave with like a collector's box, or what? So far, it's been a one-time thing. I don't know that any of the people that have bought that have actually converted into a Magic player. Personally, my hope is that. They come into the shop, they see the cleanliness of our shop, the friendliness of our staff, and what we do, and then maybe they're interested, right? Um, but I, it hasn't hasn't translated yet. It's just translated into a couple, you know, couple sales. I, I feel like maybe there's been a few Magic players, maybe not so much at our shop, but just in general, like, who kind of like, you know, they're a little bit of a disenfranchised Magic fan, but then they're also like a oh, big Lord of the Rings fan or, you know, one of these other IPs. And then they, they kind of get back into it a bit because of that. Or they get one of the commander decks and they start playing again with their friends or something. Um, and I know that's... when Final Fantasy comes out, that's my jam. I'm all <laughs> over it. They better have a, a Tidus. <laughs> they better have a Cloud. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you got to have the Final Fantasy seven characters. That's, that's yeah. like, that's got to be, right? Yeah, yeah. They, ten's they, my my personal favorite. But... Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the our our manager has asked me to order all of the Fallout product that we can possibly oh get. He is a huge <laughs> Fallout fan, and yeah. he's like, just I, I I really really for his sake I hope that that set is fantastic because <laughs> he's all in. I mean. He's going to spend all of his money on it, I'm telling you. <laughs> He's tried to That's convince me to play Fallout so many times. He's like, just play Fallout, okay, I'll so just watch you play. Ways. Just, just want... <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. I, it's, it's, a great, it's a great series, and, uh, but I, I, I mean, to each their own, right? Um, yeah. But I, think it's, I was just going to say, it's really interesting you have that dynamic, dynamic where you're sharing the building with people, so you're, you kind of have to order product. If not for them, then at least like, you know, just, just make sure that... Um, yeah, anyway, it sounds like a really cool, like, close-knit community, which is which is good. Yeah, I, our employees are very... I I would say it's not, like, a normal, like, work relationship where you're super, like, corporate boss and stuff. You know, we, we mess around and we're very... 
uncouth sometimes, but uh, yeah, like we yeah we have employees who sometimes they just blow their whole check on magic stuff. It's, it's... <laughs> we we call them free employee now. <laughs> 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 I'll just pay you in magic cards. No, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not implying anything. But what's the craziest thing that your one of your uh, staff has has ever done in terms of magic spending or magic shenanigans? Well, I think one time, um, yeah, I'll just I'll just say it. Jordan, you, have, you can you don't have to use their names, but it's if okay. you want to, it's totally fine. It's okay, Jordan. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, he he like bought an entire was it like Tron? The like, Tron. I did. And, this is the story I was going to tell. Yeah, so. <laughs> and then sold it, and because he switches decks constantly, but he purchased the entirety of Tron and then sold it before it arrived, and then <laughs> bought a different deck. This is true. <laughs> he just this switched. True. <laughs> he didn't even play it so, once. He just switched. He, or yeah. So when we have a we have a policy, uh, when when we don't have the cards, we order them from either from TCG player. Star City Games, Card Kingdom, wherever we can get the cards for our customers, so they don't have to pay shipping. So everybody puts their orders in, we go out and order all the cards, and get them in for everybody. So whatever we were missing on Tron, you know, Jordan ordered the entire deck, uh, and and literally sold it to the shop before it actually got there. It was quite comical. It's almost like a Magic Online uh, rental service, except it, it's in real life, you know, you just like, you just like loaning cards and in this case like it was even before it touched the ground like that's uh that, yeah. that was, there must be there must be some sort of like guinness record for this right yeah you guys we, probably have it yeah we do have kind of like i don't know of any other stores that, that do this i'm sure there are but basically if you have store credit with us you know and you want to buy some cards using your store credit like we'll just you know give you know pull out the cards that we have but then also just like place an order to card kingdom or where we can get them cheapest tcg player or whatever um and then you know have your whole deck or order like ready for you to pick up you know yep. people just like message us or whatever um but i think it's kind of a cool thing that we do it, it does uh sound really cool if unusual because it sounds like you guys not only just have a, a kind of a value to buy every single card but you also sell every single card effectively right because if it's right. not available, you'll make sh you'll make it available. Yeah, oh. I guess that's kind of the goal is to make it a good experience for the customer either way that, you know, they're going to end up getting everything they need. Think about it logically. You might as well make it a good experience for the customer because they're going to go buy the card wherever they're going to buy the card anyways if you don't have it. So if you help them out, why not? We're already ordering. We can already, you know, we can save them shipping, whatever. Um, make it easier for them. And yeah, so it just, I mean, just kind of makes sense actually when you think about it, even though it kind of seems counterintuitive, hey, we're buying from another store, but they're going to go buy from them anyway. So let's help them out. I think this is a, a really admirable practice is to try to think about it from the consumer's point of view, or maybe to borrow um, an Amazon term, like it's it's having a kind of very strong customer obsession or a very... Uh, strong principle around that. Um, however, I think that 99% of business owners just don't think like that. Like they're, they're, I mean, I've, I've been in stores, I'm not going to name any names. I've been in stores where the owner's just too lazy to even get up and help me. Like, 
how how do you guys how did you guys develop this sort of um set of values or or ethos around uh apex gaming yeah <laughs> that was that was one of the turning points actually uh so i was in a, a store i'm not gonna name anything um and i just i i was trying to get a deck together before an event and I just was looking for some uncommon. So I asked one of the workers. Uh, they were like sitting at their, at, they were on the clock, presumably, but they were just sitting at a computer, like a work computer playing a game. And I was like, hey, can I get like this uncommon? And they're like, oh, it'd probably be in one of those binders. And then just turned around and kept working. And that just kind of, you know, that obviously that's not good practice. It's not right. And that just kind of flipped the switch for me. Like, you know, I was already kind of wanting to do a store at that point with Kyle, and uh, I don't know. It just it 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 set me off of like that's not how it should be, and I want to do things this way and do them the right way. So it is kind of starting from like your your viewpoint as a as a cons customer yourself. Like, what what do I want? What do I not want? And just kind of just just flipping it around. Like, this is how a business should be done, and just kind of modeling after that. Pretty much. I mean, that sums it up. Just, yeah, this is the way it should be. I mean, we've all, t we've taken our experiences, the good and the bad, and you just jam them into policies and procedures and make a store. I also want to ask, like, how much of your uh, activity, sales, and tournaments is around Magic the Gathering versus other games? Because I understand that there's also, you guys also do Lorcana and other things. Like, so what's the kind of, uh, distribution or split are these other games just as popular are they growing like what's the situation like so our four main categories are magic morcana flesh and blood and warhammer and warhammer um, has a pretty good following in our shop um this past weekend i went down there and there was like 15 to 20 people in there um playing warhammer on sunday just having a great time it was awesome um so we we do a, a pretty good following, but I would say Warhammer's probably 10 to 15%. Um, Flesh and Blood's probably 10%. Um, Lorcana has been, because of the popularity from the releases, it's probably been closer to like 15% right now. And then the rest is magic. And magic is the huge chunk of what we do. Okay. And I understand uh, you guys are also doing Lorcana events, is that right? or some sort of invitational series and such. Um, yeah, that was the Lost Boys um, with Todd Anderson and it is several other guys that kind of work on that with them. But they wanted to host a tournament and stuff, and so they did most of the legwork and advertising for that. And then we held a couple qualifiers for it, and then they held a, you know, they, it's a really big names here. Frank Carson, Nathan Story were here. Um, Brandon Candio. They were, they were all playing on the Locana side or commentating and on the Locana yeah, this was to play Locana. That was kind of the idea was to get some of the biggest, like some big names in Magic, to come and play Locana to kind of showcase Locana. Um, just because you know no one had any accolades playing Locana yet, obviously. Uh, so, but I mean, it was a really cool event. Um, it was a lot of fun. But I mean, there's there's some definite hype around Locana. Yeah, we're as someone who's never some... played the game, like what is it? What is it that attracts people, <clears throat> Magic players, perhaps to Lorcana? Is it a similar 
style? Is it like, is there, are there certain aspects of it that make it appealing other than the Disney IP, of course? What, I mean, what attracted me to it was, it was one of those games that's like really simple to learn, very, very simple mechanics, but then you kind of realize that the gameplay is like really complex and there's a lot of decision making, uh, kind of a lot of it stems from the resource system of like, you know, your inkwell, they call it, where it's, it's putting lands into play, but instead you just pick one of the cards from your hand. Almost all the cards in the game, maybe like 80% of the cards in the game can be flipped over as a, as a mana source, basically. Uh, so that right there is a tremendous amount of decision making of which card are you going to ink out of your hand every turn. Uh, and then just, it kind of has a Hearthstone vibe of, like, you can either choose to go face, which is called questing, or you can choose to, like, play more defensively and challenge your opponent's stuff. So, it, very simple mechanically, but then I, I think the decision-making and stuff gets really complex. That's what I liked about it anyways. I just like the gameplay. Um, I like the uh, resource system a lot. I felt like it... Um, obviously, one of the big things with magic sometimes you know, you can you can have perfect deck construction you know a net deck that's won several events and sometimes you just get flooded sometimes you just don't draw any lands or sometimes you draw for the same creature right in a row um you know and, and that rng happens but with Lorcana it's it's just a little bit less because of the way the inking system works you know there's extra cards you can ink or um you know so that that's just a little bit attractive and I look for us so to it sounds more similar to maybe flesh and blood in terms of there being less of like blowouts based on variance and just more like intricate strategic decisions that you have to make at every part of a churn or something like it's actually it's uh, maybe going to what Darren said it like it's simple to learn difficult to master like it's just it's just there's a lot of built-in complexity but it's easy to at least pick up initially right yeah to I would practice. say flesh and blood is quite a bit more complex up front, uh, but they both have taken significant measures to reduce the amount of variance in terms of like, like make it a little bit more uh, skill based. Not, I mean, magic can be very skill based, but there is a tremendous amount of variance in magic uh, versus I think the other two games have quite a bit less variance based on what I've seen. I don't play much flesh and blood. I've played it a couple times. All right, so let's uh, let's run over to the coverage side. When did you guys first decide to stream tournaments? This is how a lot of folks like myself heard about Apex Gaming. Like, when did it start? Like, what's the story behind it? Uh, From day one, to... <laughs> we, <laughs> the dream was always to be a streamer. <laughs> We're still trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean. We've just always looked up to uh, SCG coverage was one of the big ones. And of course, like the GP coverage and Pro Tour coverage and stuff. We, I was a big watcher of all of that. Um, yep. I loved all that coverage and stuff. You know, it's awesome to work with Todd Anderson now because I was like watching him play on the SCG tour for a long time. Um, but when we started Apex, in, it was like we had a tournament scheduled for March. It was like 2019. Was that when COVID started? Yes. And that, you know, COVID hit and literally it was like, you know, everything started shutting down like right before that tournament. So we 
you know, had to cancel that tournament, obviously, and then couldn't hold tournaments for a, a very long time, of course. Um, but we noticed in that time, Paper Magic started, you know, obviously there was no Paper Magic coverage anywhere. So we were kind of like, what if we kind of fill that niche? Like, we know people are missing Paper Magic and want to watch Paper Magic. It's a totally different experience than watching, you know, on you know, people play MTGO or Arena. So we started just with, like, you know, just with a phone, um, bought like a little bout and started recording it. It was like terrible quality at first, but we <laughs> sort of got some practice and learned things. And um, remember, when we get like <laughs> eleven viewers, and we'd be so pumped. Yeah, um, I'll never forget the guy from Brazil was like one of our first fans, Pred and Predator. Yeah, Predator was his yep. tag it was one of our first like yep. followers and first fans but he's from brazil and we thought that was the coolest thing that someone from brazil was watching us just play like magic with our phone streaming it or whatever <laughs> um but we actually we, we ended up you know we at this point we had a little bit of confidence with streaming stuff so then look all these local high school sports teams wanted to stream their games because they couldn't have an audience because of covid so then we ordered this like audio uh, video equipment and started streaming their games uh sort of like you know contracting ourselves out to them and then basically through all of that we ended up you know being able to pay the workers that helped us do it and then buying the equipment you know paying for it uh we gave our money back on that we got our we got our money back for the equipment and we paid our workers and we gave all the rest of the money to the schools that we streamed for to replace yeah, their yeah gates. to make up for their all the gate that they lost that was kind of part of the agreement um but then uh, you know after that after basically as covid was ending we had all this nice equipment we had like four um pretty high definition sony 4k cameras and some microphones and things like that and you know we just started setting them up we, we rigged up a big well we've had a few different setups but the setup we have now is like a, a two by four across the ceiling with several cameras mounted to it uh, we have three feature matches uh we have a camera at the commentator booth and we have a couple webcams for the face cameras uh you know commentator headsets and mixers and switchers and a streaming computer all that <laughs> so yeah. this is started small and scaled up Definitely. Um, we all have to start somewhere and, and kind of grow and it's never, uh, never an overnight thing. But I want to ask, like, what do you, what do you guys think at Apex Gaming? What do you guys think are the hallmarks of a solid production? I mean, just, just in general, like what are kind of the ingredients that you know now have, having worked on it for a couple of years, like what are the things that actually make it something that is compelling that people actually want to watch? I just want to say Taryn and, and Bricker are two guys that do a lot of our, they've worked really hard on our layout. I know Taryn has put a lot of time into the stream decker and the buttons and managing it and how everything goes. And, um, you know, the production, you know, Taryn, he's, he's switching between, you know, the face cam of the player and then back to the table and to the other face cam for the other player, you know, just trying to, you know, make it more of a production rather than just cards and we're talking about them, you know? So uh, it, it always impresses me how they do that. And then I, I think the stream layout, the 
um, everything that they've done that way is is really sharp and really nice. But go ahead, Taryn. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely agree. But I, th I think the, I would, if I could say three things, I think uh, largely it's gameplay. Like you actually, I think <clears throat> the thing that viewers care about the most is just watching good gameplay, which sometimes can be out of your control. So you, we sort of, you know, when we have when we when we have these the big weekend tournaments, we have some really good competitors. So we just make a point to get our like our talented players on stream and you know players who are doing well in the tournament um and then i would say commentators is the other thing and i think that's something that we didn't understand when we started but commentary really good commentary is really hard to do you have to like i, I mean it's it's a talent um so but yeah. we've basically sort of contracted that out to like todd anderson and ross merriam um and they, they come up and they i mean their commentary is top notch they do a tremendous job. Um, not only have they done commentary for us, but they give us pointers and they've really talked to us about that side of magic, having previously worked in it and been in high level tournaments. They've, they've really helped us and given us a lot of pointers. Yeah. They've been a, a tremendous help. Um, and then lastly, I would just say like the layout um, <clears throat> and, and like, you know, the overlay, your, your production value in general, um, having like smooth transitions. So we, we have something called a stinger transition where it kind of wipes away and the apex logo floats in and things like that. And that, those are things that I've just kind of, you know, learned on my own just from like YouTube and, you know, things like that, um, made it in like Adobe after effects and, you know, you, it's, you don't want it to be like distracting and in the way of watching the game or anything, but you definitely, you know, you want a little bit of smoothness, you know, fading in between scenes, switching to player cams, things like that. I think those three scenes are super solid. I'm wondering how you feel about the, the presence of a storyline or a narrative or some sort of thing that gets people invested. Because I think when you're, whether you're watching sports or watching a magic tournament, this is something that Star City Games used to do quite well when they had the Players Tour. Like, do you guys think about that? Is that is that also maybe the fourth ingredient or like the thing that's like overlaid on top? I'm just wondering how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I actually I do uh, think about that a lot. Um, it's something that we kind of started working on in our last couple seasons, and Todd and Ross have been working on that with us. Uh, and they they kind of do a good job with their commentary of just bringing it to the front of like what the players are playing for, what you know, what they've done in previous tournaments, you, you know where where they've faced off before, who won last time. I, they just do a tremendous job of just kind of like off the dome knowledge, even if we don't have a bunch of like statistics available or things like that. Um, but we've worked before on doing like player cards. We kind of pop up a card of like some of our more prominent players on our series. And you know some of their accolades and things like that. Just, but but yeah, it it definitely to craft like a narrative like that and storylines of like, oh man, this guy was a long shot in this tournament, but now he's in the you know semifinals right now. Like that that definitely does a lot to engage your viewers and just retain viewership, but make just a higher quality product in general. 
it's also a question I have, which is that there's often discussions or talks about how tournaments need to be, uh, you know, wor- worthwhile for players to show up on, right? To show up in, to travel, to spend the time, you know, the prizes. And Magic players, is all about EV expected value. Um, but I think there's also something to be said for just the ability to be on camera, the ability to be part of something. And I just, I just hope you guys can comment a little bit on that and how you think that plays into Apex Gaming. So one tournament that we had, I randomly happened to have two $50 Amazon gift cards and wasn't play. I just had them. Like, I don't know why I had them. I had ordered them off of like a credit card reward or something. And I had heard that we had two players that drove one seven hours and 15 minutes and the other was six hours and 45 minutes, not together, separate vehicles. They drove all the way just to play at Apex because they watched our streams and wanted to play on camera. So I actually went out. It was I, I, I knew who was going to win because I said, you know, but I said, all right, anybody that traveled over six hours, please stand up, you know, and then they, they, they stood up. And there's actually a couple other people that stood up that were traveled right around six hours. And I said, okay, anybody over six and a half hours? And those two were left remaining, you know, left standing. I was like, I got a $50 gift card for both of you guys for making the trip for that far to be here. But that's what playing on stream, you know, that's what some of those pools, they didn't drive that far just for a $1,000 tournament. You know, they drove that far to play on our stream. You know, that's why they were there. Um, which was a really cool, you know, cool feeling, cool thing that they did. Yeah, I think playing on stream is just such a, like, intangible, like, value that is added to a player's experience. Like, it's a memory that they'll never forget. You know, they, you can always go back and, like, record the the VOD and rewatch your gameplay for mistakes is a huge thing. That's, I love to do that when I get on camera, even for like our local FNMs. I go, I always go back and watch my games for mistakes and stuff. Um, a little humbling. Yeah, yeah, it can be. You're like, oh my god, what was I doing? <laughs> uh, but I mean, and, and kind of like, especially for players who are, if they're trying to like, you know, maybe make a name for themselves and be like content creators or something that's where you can earn a lot of clout is you can you know we have a decently big platform you know we'll have sometimes up to like you know maybe 600 700 viewers for those weekend tournaments and we can go up to a thousand twelve hundred and you know like someone like like ryan hayes tj radizak the abadi twins those are like some killers on our series dylan ham and you know they already have a good amount of name recognition just from playing on our series. And, you know, it it was actually funny. I think it was Ryan Hayes was on a killer run at, uh, which, which, um, RC was it? Oh, Oh, no. Well, he's uh, been crushing energy too, but yeah, he has an RC. Um, was it the Dallas one? Maybe, but he was like undefeated and standard. He was undefeated day one. Yeah, on the first day and stuff. But he was on camera a bunch, yeah. and people in chat were saying, like, isn't that Ryan Hayes from Apex? Is that the same guy from Apex? So, like, people, you know, from Apex or in the RC stream recognizing him and, and saying that, which I thought was really cool. But anyways, yeah. that, that's kind of a long story. But, 
I'm just saying the the name recognition and that value for someone who's if you're trying to be a content creator or a grinder, whatever, it's important. So Yeah, no doubt. I, I even back in the day when I played the times I visited the US, I played like uh I was on Car Kingdom streams and I always went back and just watched the the VODs of what it was like. It was for me also it was nice to like show off my um my foreign duels or whatever, like, you know, German uh, FPV duels, because I had them oh, on camera, cool. so it was very... I have, I have a mostly German decks in uh, in Legacy. It's just something I do, even though I don't um, actually speak German. It, I just find a, I just find it interesting to have to have certain collections, right? I'm, I'm sure yeah. a lot of players will have, like, foiled out things or, or s specific versions. It's nice to, to kind of showcase someone's uh, uh, kind of unique... Uh, personality to magic even if i even if they lose on the stream or if i lost on the stream like it's it's okay it's just something <laughs> it's cool to, to 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 have that i guess uh, mem uh what do you call that like memorialized in, in some way right so, yeah yep. people definitely like to have their own bling and stuff with their decks uh when they play and, and they show off a bit Sometimes they'll they'll try to get a cool play mat on stream or something, and it's like, no, you got to use our play mats. I've made a couple <laughs> exceptions to that rule, uh, but you got to use the yeah, branded play mats. You get, sometimes you even get inappropriate play mats, and that that's really yeah, no, that can't you. fly. But as long as you're using Apex, that's uh, that's that's all good. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, on that note, do you are you guys doing deck techs at all? Because I feel like that's another part of the prestige factor is when people get to do deck techs uh, back in the old days. I'm not sure if you guys are already doing that or plan to. We are not. Um, something that we've talked about and something that I would like to do is set up a room where we could we could do that. Right, you could pull people in, record that in in between, and then show it in between rounds. Is you know. Um, I think it I think it would be awesome. We just haven't got there yet. Yeah. It's actually something um that in between rounds thing is a big challenge to magic coverage because sometimes you just get stuck with thirty minutes of downtime or longer and it's just nothing you can really do about it. Um so finding different things to like retain viewers. The main thing we've done is going to a flashback stream, we call it. Uh, just, you know, cause that's a magic keyword, but, uh, where it's just, just go to the previous tournament you had with the same format and just show the replays. Um, but yeah, something like that is, it, I won't say it's like in the works, but it's something that we've considered and we kind of did it before once where we would just bring them into the commentary booth and do it live, which maybe we could do something like that again. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I have to talk to Todd and Ross about it, but <laughs> we'll see. It's always tough though when you get random people on the stream too. It's, yeah, uh, sometimes it's it's just chaos, right? So I'm sure you guys know better than I do, but I I can often sense that when I try to like look at the behind the scenes. Like sometimes like uh, weird stuff can happen. Not always good. So you have to kind yeah. of control for those. It's kind live. Of if it's if it's yeah, a live, it's stream, live. Yeah, if, it, if you record and it and you put it away, on, it so. would be yeah. Yeah, it's live and it's on our account, our Twitch partnered stream. <laughs> right, um, right, right. And you some people are just not great on, on camera. And just like venting or tongue tied or dropping yeah. f bombs and like you don't want that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess to wrap it up, I just want to ask the two of you. I mean, again, maybe a simple question, but hard to answer. Just like. What do you guys see as kind of the 
the future vision of Apex Gaming, where do you think it needs it's going to go? You can answer it. Maybe we'll just do a roundtable. Like, maybe we can start from Kyle and then Taryn. But just, like, where do you, from your vantage points, where do you see Apex going? Like, what what, what is it working towards into the future? So, into the future, I see us continuing to do um, more of what we're doing. Um, so, starting with season season four of the Apex Gaming Invitational Series this year, um, hopefully we get that that pro tour. Um, we just finished a renovation project on um, another part of our building, um, a 4,200 square foot event center. So we can now host about 300 um, players at our facility. So really looking forward to having that kind of space um, and just being able to have awesome uh, weekends of magic. You know, we always do our our events because we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, we always do them as weekend events, and uh, I would just like to see, um, you know, this next year, season four, um, do that. Uh, yeah, for me, just utilizing that extra space, I want to, you know, try to get a lot of attendance for season four, hopefully. And, yeah, I, our stream has kind of constantly been growing, and we hit some crazy numbers in season three. On the stream, I think we what what was the peak we got up to, Kyle? Was it like it was twelve hundred and fifty six? I think it was twelve hundred. Was our our you know somewhere in there was like our peak. Um, you know, of course, after like some big raids and stuff. But what's nice is what we've noticed is every time we get raided, we're retaining a lot of those viewers. Um, so right, so they're they're actually staying. That's that's the that's the huge thing. The, yeah, the, the content is actually compelling and tangible. Sure. Right. Yeah, which that's the big what that's telling you is that the content is there. So, uh, and it, you know, it's obviously a big thanks to our players and our commentators, um, you know, but also our, our stream and our brand and stuff. Uh, so yeah, I just, I want to grow the stream. I want to make, you know, make it a big deal, get some more big names out, you know, make it attractive to, to the really good players to come play. Um, and hopefully offer some really good perks and rewards for the players who, grind it out and do well yeah all right thank you both so much for taking the time today it's been great talking to you too and i feel like obviously we've only scratched the surface of apex gaming we're gonna have like a 10-hour podcast in the future or something <laughs> or maybe maybe if you guys really hit it big we'll have to do a documentary like you know like <laughs> someone will have to show up with a camera and do like yeah what they used to do for the pro tours with apex i think that oh, would be man, a really that would be cool interesting concept just kind of follow <laughs> you guys around uh yeah yeah but uh, but thank you so much um i think it's it, i i again i really i really want to say this i really think you guys are like a very an amazing up-and-coming player if you're not already there like you're you're just really like one of the the bright spots of American magic and just magic coverage in general. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to say American magic coverage because you have somebody in Brazil watching you. So uh, <laughs> just promoting the game in a way that it should be and just trying to have the right values for how to conduct yourselves, how to do business, how to, how to have a compelling production. So thank you guys so much for taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for having us thank on. It was awesome to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice.